have your Bibles tonight, we're turning to the book of Mark, chapter number 8 this evening. Mark, chapter number 8. I'm going to begin reading tonight in the 31st verse of this chapter, Mark, chapter 8. Very familiar scripture. Verse 31 says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. We'll stop reading right there. Uh, from these three verses tonight, we'll preach three little ideas God's put into my mind about these verses. Thinking on the way of the cross. When we last gathered, we studied verses 27 through 30. And Jesus had asked his disciples, whom do men say that I am? Against the backdrop of Caesarea Philippi, which is a very worldly and religious, superstitious wise place. Not religious in that they serve God, but they serve Ashtaroth and Baal and Pan and went around saying that Caesar was Lord. So when you looked at the backdrop, you could tell based on the community and the, the cities what people thought about Christ. Look at America right now. What does America think about Christ? Look at our churches. What do our churches think about Jesus? Amen. Then Jesus went on to say, what do, whom do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, the spokesman for the group, said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, period. He said that you're the anointed one. You're the Messiah. No doubt about it. So from that very moment, that very place that Peter has made this great confession about the Lord Jesus Christ, immediately the Lord begins to speak openly, freely, and very plainly about his purpose in coming to this world. He's come to give his life a ransom, amen, for our sins that we might be saved. He's come to die for the sins of the world. We know that Jesus from this place is about to take the next step. He's going to set his face steadfastly like he's going towards Jerusalem, going to Calvary where he may lay down his life. When I see verse 31, I think number one about the supreme revelation. The Bible says, and he began to teach them. Everywhere Jesus went, he was teaching the word of God. He was preaching, amen. And now many times he's been healing those that were sick, those that were afflicted. And many multitudes, thousands of people, crowds gathered to hear him teach and to preach and watch him do miracles. But now at this point, two, two and a half years into the ministry, the crowds are dying down, beginning to uh, see his popularity diminish very greatly, especially amongst these devout Jews. And yet, here he is entering into this season of 
intense difficulty, if you will, that's going to result or end, culminate in the cross of Calvary. And from this moment on, he wants his disciples to be very clear about who he is, very clear about what he's going to do. He is soon going to die. He's going to be buried. He's going to be raised again. He's going to go back to heaven. And the disciples are going to be him here without him upon this earth. And so he wants them to be intent and focus about who he is. Now, there have been times previous to this moment that he has shared with his disciples just who he is. If you will, maybe in metaphors. Let's look at a couple of them. In the book of John chapter 2, in verse number 19, Jesus made a very familiar statement, one that you could quote back to me. In John chapter 2, in verse number 19, Jesus is speaking about the temple of his body. He says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Now they thought he was talking about the temple where they were to worship, but Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body, that it would be destroyed, that it would be crucified, and then on the third day he would rise again. He's told them that he's going to be raised from the dead. I have a couple more. You won't have to turn, but in Mark chapter 2, verse 20, some weeks back we preached about where Jesus said, when the bridegroom shall be taken away. You see, Jesus is that bridegroom. The church is the bride. He's going to be taken away. What about Matthew chapter 12? He said, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Preacher, didn't Jesus didn't say it was a whale's belly. Yes, he did. You can look it up. Matthew chapter 12. In verse number 40, I believe if it weren't so, he would have told us. Amen. Yet he made these statements, metaphors if you will, that he's going to lay down his life. And his disciples just scratched their head and were puzzled. They did not understand what is being said. And now after Peter's great confession, Jesus began to teach that the Son of Man would suffer many things that he would be rejected by the chief priests and the scribes and the elders and that he would be killed and raised again on the third day. He's going to speak about it again. We're in Mark chapter 8. Just let your eye wander across to the next chapter. Mark chapter 9 and look in verse number 31. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men and they shall kill him and after that he is killed... He shall rise the third day. Here's the second time that he was very specific, uh, very graphic about what's going to happen to the Son of Man. And the disciples, the Bible said in verse 32, they understood not that saying. He's trying to get their attention. He's given them more enlightenment along the way. Look again in chapter number 10. Uh, so in Mark 8, 9 and 10, verse 32 he again starts to tell them about the depth of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Verse 32, they were in the way going up to Jerusalem and Jesus went before them and they were amazed and as they followed, they were afraid and he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, 
and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. He is focusing on preparing his disciples for future events. His death, burial, and resurrection. His ascension back to heaven. He's preparing them. I begin to think it seems like the more the time of the cross is approaching, the more he is in earnest trying to speak to his disciples. It is as if it has been apparent when he first called them up for this two, two and a half years, they were not ready to hear these graphic details until now. So I would say it's a strategic time of the ministry of Jesus to bring his disciples into a fuller instruction as to what's happening. This brings to mind the question, is it a strategic time in your life now where you can handle the fullness of truths that you could not receive two and a half, three years ago? Are you in a place now that you're seeing things today that you didn't see three years ago? If you've been walking with the Lord that long, let me get a witness right there if you're that way. Preacher Darren, there is growth, there is maturity, there is a comprehension of scriptures that I'm receiving now that I didn't receive a few years ago. Though it was there, I'm growing. I'm seeing things develop in the news and things happening before my eyes and brings me to a, an understanding and enlightenment. And, and the more I'm getting, the less I figured out I knew. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I just want to say, just as Jesus took his disciples from stage to stage, he's taking you and me from faith to faith to faith in our lives. Tonight, Bethel Baptist Church, this is a strategic time for the ministry of Jesus Christ in my life and in yours, in ours. This 24 hours of prayer that's upcoming, I believe it could... Break out in revival. Preacher, no, I don't believe that. Then don't pray, amen. I believe God wants to do something. And the more I get around him, the more I'm being helped and enlightened in the things of God. It's just he's teaching them of things that are yet to come. Important things. Let's look at the implications here. That the Son of Man must suffer many things. He goes on. He's rejected of the elders, of the chief priests and the scribes. It goes on. He's going to be killed. It goes on. He's going to rise the third day. Don't you know this was startling? This was shocking. This was perplexing to those disciples. They had believed that Jesus as Christ, as Messiah, as he comes into authority, that he would set up his kingdom and would overthrow Rome. And now he's telling them he's going to die. Oh my, they're surprised to death. Look with me in a lot of the scriptures I've just read to you earlier. There's a, there's a, a term that Jesus calls himself over and over again. He uses it of himself more than any other term. Son of man. Preacher Darren, why? He uses that son, capital S, of man out of humility. Yet he uses that term out of Sovereignty. I want to go back prophetically and look in Daniel chapter number 7. Daniel, that great man of God, that great prophet of God. I want to look in chapter 7 tonight. Chapter 7, and, and if you'll hear it, I want to read in verse 9. This is Daniel chapter 7 and verse 9. 
and I hope you'll follow me. Daniel 7, 9. Daniel says, I beheld till the thrones were cast down and the ancient of days, that's God, the ancient of days did sit whose garment was white as snow, the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame and his wheels as a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands and thousands ministered unto him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The judgment was set and the books were opened. Verse 11, I beheld... Then because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake, I beheld even till the beast, that's the Antichrist, was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Pay attention, church. Verse 13, I saw in the night visions and behold... One like the Son of Man, that's Jesus, capital S, Son of Man, came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days and they brought him near before him. This is Jesus approaching God the Father. And there was given him, that's to Jesus, dominion and glory and the kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. Underline that. Which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. And I'd like to preach that chapter about Israel right now and what we're facing with end time events. But let's just take that word in Daniel prophetically looking forward. He's speaking about the Son of Man. What did Jesus just say? Who he was? That the Son of Man, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah that the Jews had hoped and looked for out of Daniel and then some, they're going to reject him. They're going to kill him and they're going to bury him. I begin to think about it's God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Ghost plan that Jesus would come and live a sinless life and give his life on the cross that we might be saved. This is not what men are doing. This is not just some, some circumstances that are developing. Honey, no, no, no. This is the plan of Almighty God. Thinking about the Son of Man. Jesus said in the book of Matthew chapter 20 verse 28 that the Son of Man came to give His life a ransom for many. That same one that will have dominion and power and authority that God gives Him a kingdom which will not pass away. That same Son of Man, the Christ, the Messiah has come to give His life a ransom for many. Lord of God, does it occur to you that you and I are in that number? We are the many that he gave his life for. In the book of Luke chapter 19 verse 10, Jesus said, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. 
that one with such authority, that one that will be given such dominion, he came to this earth to bleed and die, to seek you and to convict you and to draw you that you might be saved. Hallelujah to God. What a Savior tonight, amen. And Jesus is giving his disciples these important instructions with such great implications and yet they just don't get it who he's calling himself the Son of Man. I begin to think then about his rejection. There's no doubt the disciples, they're familiar with the opposition that Jesus is facing. Uh, The elders, the scribes, and the chief priests, they're turning away from him. I underline the word in my Bible that the Son of Man must. I underline it. The word must. He must. Preacher Darren, what does that mean? He, a phrase, must suffer. It means it's an absolute necessity. It means it is unalterable. God has planned this. God has ordained it. God has put this moment in place that the Son of Man must suffer. Jesus goes into explicit details about what's going to happen. He will suffer many things. He'll be falsely accused. He'll be beaten. He'll be ridiculed. He'll be spat upon. He'll be stripped. He'll be shamed. He will be scourged. He will be made sport of. He will have his beard plucked. He will be nailed to the old rugged cross. Oh, yes. Oh, my. And there he'll give his life. Now, just imagine, just imagine. Here is the Son of Man whom the Ancient of Days has turned all power, dominion, and authority over to. The Son of Man is going to be rejected. He's going to be killed by the chief priest. Preacher, that's no big deal, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. Come here, I want to tell you, you know who that is? That's the rulers, the leadership of the Jews. That's the Sanhedrin court. Mark chapter 14, turn here with me. Mark chapter 14. I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but I want to read it. Mark chapter 14, and I want to read in verse number 60. Very important that you see this about the Son of Man and these chief priests, elders, and scribes and those that are rejecting Jesus. Mark 14, verse 60. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But he held his peace and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the blessed? Remember Jesus had asked a question? Disciples, whom do men say that I am? Some said you're Elijah. Some said you're John the Baptist or one of the other prophets. Who do you say I am? You're the Christ, the Son of God. Hey, what does the chief priest, the high priest, what is he saying? He says, art thou? He's questioning. He does not believe. Art thou the Christ, the Son of the blessed? Jesus said, I am. Woo. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's good enough right there. He could have stopped and said, I am. That's good enough. He goes on and says, and you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. 
to the high priest. He knew what Daniel said in chapter 7, how that one day the Son of Man would come with the clouds in heaven and the ancient of days would turn over all power and all authority unto him and he would have a kingdom that would never pass away and the high priest rejected him. He reviled him. He renounced him on the spot. They even went as far as to say, his blood be on us and all our children. What a dangerous thing for any man to say. I'm just thinking about their rejection of Jesus Christ. And go on, the Bible says that Mark chapter 8, not only would he be rejected by this crowd, but that he would be killed. I thought about another R, the old rugged cross. He's going to be killed by crucifixion. He, to be killed, I looked the word up, it means to destroy. Jesus said destroy this temple and I'll raise it up again in three days. Amen. It means to do away with. They want to do away with the Christ. They want to do away with the Messiah. They want to do away with Jesus Christ. Jesus says his death will be a violent death. His death will be a gruesome killing. His death will be a slaughter. Preacher, Darren, that's pretty graphic. Isaiah 53, 7 said, he is led as a lamb to the slaughter. Jesus was slaughtered, shedding his blood. Some people say, well, it was spilled. No, I spilled milk. That's an accident. He shed his blood on purpose, not just a pin, not just a pin prick on his finger. Amen. But he gave his last, Lord, God, I want to run. He gave his last blood that we might be saved. Nobody ever loved me like Jesus. Nobody ever cared for me like Jesus. Oh, what a Savior my Jesus is tonight, amen. He was rejected and he took to the old rugged cross. Look with me, the Bible says in verse 31, but after three days he will rise again. Oh, yes, he'll be raised in victory, victorious over death, victorious over hell, victorious over the grave, victorious over sin, victorious over Satan, victorious over the scoffers, victorious over the mockers. Let them laugh their way into hell. They'll not laugh their way out. I'm telling you, let them laugh. He's alive, youngins, and he gave his life for you that you might live and be where he is. Man, that excites my soul tonight, amen. The Bible says in Romans 4, 25, he was raised for our justification. <laughs> to look at us and we can be treated just as if we've never sinned. Oh, I run around here. What a wicked, heinous sinner I am. Oh, what a low-life scumbag I am. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? But I thank Jesus, God's Son, who gave his life, that will deliver me one day, praise God, to stand and bow before him. Praise God for it. I'm just saying tonight, this in verse 31 to me is a supreme revelation. He, he's standing, sharing this with his disciples. He's standing, sharing this with anyone who will listen. Second of all, when I look at verse 32, I see Simon's rebuke. May I go a little further uh, just, just for truth's sake and say that it's more than Simon's rebuke. It is Satan's rebuke. In verse 32, Jesus, he, 
He spake that saying openly. What, what is the setting? He spake this openly. Uh, this was not done in some cave or in some hideaway place. Uh, this is not done in secret. I, I got told, uh, uh, listen, Preacher Darren, when you're sharing the gospel, you ought not to do it in a public place. It ought to be done privately. In, oh, yes, it ought to be done privately, but it ought to also be done publicly. I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And if you will, if you will, verse 31 that we just read to you, that's a supreme revelation. Jesus is declaring this truth openly, if you will. He is preaching the gospel. Death, burial, and resurrection. He's dying for our sins. He's preaching the gospel openly. So if it bothers you that your preacher may preach on the street or that he may preach in some doctor's office or that he may preach in the Walmart parking lot or if he goes somewhere, let me tell you, Jesus preached it openly that men need to be saved by Jesus Christ. Amen. I just want to say that Jesus has declared this truth openly. And look at the sentiment. Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Simon Peter took hold of Jesus. He, he grabbed him by the forearm or, or by the shoulder and he began to try to push or force him away from the crowd to get him away from those he were speaking to and he tried to take him off to the side to rebuke him openly. Now what about this? This is the same guy that, let's just count back, one, two, three verses before. Look at verse 29. Peter said, Thou art the Christ. And three verses later, he's rebuking Jesus for saying Jesus is going to die on the cross and be buried and rise again. He was riding high on his public confession. Jesus said, blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven, and upon this rock, this great confession, I'll build my church Simon Peter's flexing his spiritual muscle. I look good. And three verses later, he's opened his mouth and insert his foot. And he begins to rebuke the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? It's as if he's thinking to correct Jesus. As if Jesus is wrong. He's going to fix it. I compared Matthew. Look with me. Matthew 16. Let's just compare scripture to scripture. Matthew 16. Matthew says a little more. Verse number 22. Or verse number, yeah, verse number 22. Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord. You see that? Matthew 16, 22. Be it far from thee, Lord. In other words, Lord, I don't want to see you die. I don't want you to even talk about dying. That's terrible, Lord. I believe the Messiah should come to rule in power and come to rule in glory and come to rule in majesty. The Messiah should not come to die, but read the Word of God. Jesus came to die. The Messiah, the Son of God, Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our, listen, for our iniquity. He came to die. And Simon Peter said, be it far from thee, Lord. Keep reading verse, verse 22. This shall not be unto thee. He said, Jesus, I will not allow this to happen. I just, I just kind of wonder, just maybe a little bit of a dreamer here. But he took Jesus off to the side. He said, now, Lord, that doesn't line up with my plans. 
My plans, Lord, is I'm one of your disciples and you're going to be the king and I'm going to be one of the governors, one of the senators, one of the congressmen and I'm going to help you rule, Lord. That's my plan. But that wasn't God's plan. You ever had your plan get interrupted by God's plan? And you said, oh no, God. (laughs) This is off limits. This is not supposed to happen to me. This is not what I planned. And you try to rebuke the Lord. And you correct him and tell him that he's done you wrong. What gets quiet in here when I preach that? You see, we're a lot like Simon Peter, aren't we? When we got this problem, when this situation happened, man, I'm telling you, it's broke your heart and brought you down to the bottom. You said, Lord, I'm going to talk to you. I want to tell you, God, this ain't fair. It ain't right. But it was God's will for your life. And I want to tell you something, that you think that peace is born out of power, but I'm telling you that peace is born out of affliction and hardships and difficulties. That's where peace comes from. And the Lord, he, the Lord is being rebuked by Simon Peter, and I'm afraid that you and I do the same thing all the time. We just cannot envision that what has happened to us would be God's perfect plan until it is. <laughs> and we find out, have you ever been like me? You complained about it. That was your lot. You complained about it. Lord, this is not fair. Lord, this is not right. How can this be? My wife has multiple sclerosis. It's been a real hardship many, many times. God, how can this be? And you find out that that was the perfect will of God to make her a national spokesperson, to let her get on this platform and get on Zoom and do all these things and have all these meetings and talk to all these people and lead people to Jesus. That would never happen had she not got sick. You see what I'm saying? You find out that through a sickness, it being God's plan, God says, my grace is sufficient. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Paul had the messenger of Satan. I believe it's two separate things. I believe he had somebody yakking behind the line on him, telling him, messenger Satan on him all the time. Somebody constantly tearing him down. Somebody constantly, I'm telling you, you got somebody always tearing this church up. Always trying to speak about this church, this community. Lie after lie after school about your, your church preacher, Darren, your kid. Oh no, I deal with it on a weekly basis. You got somebody, the messenger Satan right now trying to tear the church down. And then you've got other situations where you know you got a thorn in the flesh. Issues going on. And God's, you go, oh, preacher Darren, I want to be anointed with oil. Please, Lord, heal me. God, why didn't you heal me? Don't you know that Paul prayed three times about it? And God said, my grace is sufficient. I've allowed this to come to you to keep you sharp. I've allowed this to come to you to be a blessing in your life, to give you peace. Well, Lord, I don't feel real peaceful right now, but you let it do its perfect work, amen. You watch what God will do. In 1 Corinthians 1, 23, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews, a stumbling block. Unto the Greeks, foolishness. This is foolishness and stumbling blocks to them. But for you and me, we've realized it is a stepping stone of salvation that leads to glory, praise the Lord. Simon's rebuke. He began to rebuke him. Thirdly, and I'll be finished. I see in verse 33, our Savior's resolve. Jesus could have hauled off and slapped him through the face and says, wake up, boy. Get over it, man. Who you think you're talking to? I'm the son of God. I'm the son of man. But that's not what he did. He, the Bible says, he turned about 
and he looked on his disciples so they could all hear it. And he rebuked Peter saying, Get thee behind me, Satan. Preacher Darren, is he saying that Simon Peter is possessed? No. What he's saying is that Simon Peter was motivated by the devil to act and say the things that he did, not by the Spirit of God. I don't know about you, but there's been a few times in my life that if you ain't careful, the old devil will come and say, I want you to be my hat rack. I want you to do my business. I want you to do my bidding. I don't want to be a hat rack for the devil. I, I, I don't want to be carrying around his cloak. I don't want to be doing his business. I don't want to be carrying out his will. But sometimes good people, Simon Peter's a good man, sometimes good people get involved in things they shouldn't and say things they shouldn't. Don't be surprised you've done it too. Amen. Well, preacher Aaron, I ain't following you being a hat rack for the devil. Well, you know, there was a man by the name of uh, Paul. Before he got saved, his name was Saul. He held the coats of them while they stoned the man of God, Stephen, to death. Oh, yes, Saul was not saved. But I'm telling you, there was probably some people that get involved in the talking and the goings-ons of that, that that really didn't know what they were talking about, what they were doing. I'm just saying tonight, don't be a hat rack for the devil. Don't be... Don't allow the devil to use your life to stop the will of God. To try to, not stop, hinder the will of God from being done. Preacher Darren, I'm just saying, Peter is acting out of anxiety. Peter is acting out of fear. Peter is acting out of flesh and not out of spirit. Have you ever done it? When he turned about and looked on his disciples... He rebuked Peter saying, get thee behind me, Satan. What he said to Peter, he's speaking to all of them so they can hear. Instead of Simon Peter, who earlier had been a mouthpiece for the Father, three verses later, he's a mouthpiece for the devil. Don't you come up in here tonight and say, oh, preacher, I've got a great testimony. I'm serving God. About three verses later, there's no telling what you'll say or what you'll do. Amen? Look with me at the end of this. He says, For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. He said, You are hindering me. You're attempting to hinder me from going to the cross. Jesus was resolved. He had steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, to go up to Calvary, that he might give his life on that cross. He's going to follow through what God told him to do. God the Father sent Jesus to take up the cross and that's exactly what he is going to do. And the devil wants to hinder Jesus from going to that cross. If he has to get Simon Peter involved or any other disciple, he will. Remember Jesus went out after he was baptized. He was driven to the wilderness by the Spirit of God. And when he got out there, the devil, old Satan, old Slewfoot, came to him and tempted him at least three times, probably more, but at least three times, and Jesus quoted the word of God. Why was he trying to tempt Jesus? He's trying to stop Jesus from going to that cross. You see, Peter became more concerned about his personal will and his personal desires being done than the will of God being done. 
And, and it's easy for you and me to cast a condemning word to Simon Peter, but the truth of the matter is we respond in similar ways. We've got to make sure that our attitude and our actions are right at all times before God. You see what the devil wants? The devil wants you to think, oh, you deserve it. Oh, you're a, let's, let's get you a crown and a pat on the back. But you need to realize you're not thinking about the fact that before there's going to be a crown, there's going to be a cross. You read those next verses there. Go ahead and read them tonight. You read those next verses. It's about cross bearing. The devil that tried to stop Jesus from taking that cross is the, look at me, he is the same devil that's going to try to stop you from taking up your cross and following Jesus. It is that same no good, no count, rascal devil that's trying to stop that. Old Simon Peter's just like us. He's not too interested in the cross, but he wants the crown. He wants the pat on the back. Well, here's the thing. I'm going to turn to Luke 24, and I'm going to finish right here. Luke 24, look at verse number 25. Go there with me. Jesus wants his disciples to understand these end time events to prepare that they're going to have to go on without him, that he's given his life for their salvation. He's giving his life for the salvation of all that would look to him. And they had no comprehension that the cross precedes the crown. They had no comprehension that death precedes the diadem. Had no comprehension. When I look at Luke chapter 24, I'm noticing that these are the those on the Emmaus Road after Jesus was resurrected and Jesus just joined right up to them and they were sad and the Lord was talking to them and speaking to them and they said, where have you been? This is the third day since the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus was crucified and oh man, it's just been terrible. When I look then in verse number 20, 25, then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? You see, that was the will of God, that Jesus would suffer many things. The Son of Man must suffer many things by the chief priests and the scribes and the elders and that he would be rejected and that he would be killed and he would be raised again on the first day of the week. That's the plan of Almighty God. He's talking to us about the way of the cross. And I would just remind you not as we get ready to leave this place, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to have entered into his glory? I will, will say tonight, and you can stand to your feet, I'm done, that you and I must be careful then about why, why we try to tell Jesus we don't like such and such coming into our life when there's nothing could get into your life without he allowed it. Couldn't happen. Father, thank you tonight for the word of God. Father, that has been a, a, an inspiration and an encouragement and a help to our hearts. It's been a, a lesson, Lord, that we needed to learn, we needed to think about, Father. Thank you for sharing with us truth tonight. May your blessings be upon the church, Lord, we pray. We ask these favors, your blessings upon the lost. God, that you would save them before it's too late. God, you would help them, Lord. You would touch these that are sick. God, bring healing if it's your will. God, help them, Father, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.